Hey everyone, this is Brandon from The Daily Cyber. Uh, this is going to be an awesome episode. We actually have Debbie Reynolds on the show. It's going to be pretty amazing. We're going to be talking about uh, some privacy, uh, breach readiness plans, just a lot of great information for you guys to get ready for you know, how to protect your business and how to deal with an incident when it comes up. So Debbie's an expert in this area. I've been watching her on LinkedIn and her videos and everything she's been putting online. She's got amazing uh, knowledge, expertise, and she helps to share her information online. So let me give you a little information about uh, Debbie. Here's her bio. Uh, Debbie Reynolds is the founder, CEO, and chief data privacy officer at Debbie Reynolds Consulting. Uh, Debbie Reynolds, the data diva, is a world-renowned technologist, thought leader, and advisor to multi-international corporations for handling global data privacy, cyber data breach response, and complex cross-functional data-driven pro uh, projects. Mrs. Reynolds is an international uh, published author, highly sought out speaker, and a top media presence about global uh, data privacy, data protection, and emerging technology issues. Ms. Reynolds has been recognized as a technology visionary and is a top leader in data privacy and industry worldwide. So you can kind of tell, like just that alone, you can see the expertise that we're gonna have on the show. So I wanna make sure that you guys are ready. Grab a notepad, grab a coffee, grab a tea, and let's hack at it. I'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, USADO. USADO is a Canadian-based cybersecurity company that provides 24-7 cybersecurity support and compliance service that align their customers' tolerance for risk, their clients, suppliers, and government contractual mandates. USADO's teams focus on using insights to drive business decisions. There's no need to leave strategies to chance when insights can be used to show what changes need to be made and how to make them. USADO offers multiple services to help companies simplify IT, centralize cybersecurity management, and meet compliance standards. USADO can customize their service to work with your existing IT network and programs. For more information, contact USADO at info at uzado.com or visit their website at www.uzado.com. So yeah, guys, are you, I'm, you guys ready for this? Uh, comment in the actual chat. I want to see what you guys want to know, what questions you have about da uh, data privacy, data protection, and just really kind of really get a lot of information out of this out of this stream today. I think it's really important right now with everything that's going on. These are one area that we need to really look at. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping just to let you guys know. I want to thank Neil for the cyber insecurity. Uh, these guys have been building up a massive community and you guys have been helping us, you know, really get out there, share this information. I've been hearing guys, you know, private chatting with me and letting me know how much, you know, it's helping them in their career and their job and what's going on. So thank you so much. Make sure you take it, the time to share this out with your community uh, and ask lots of questions. This episode is for you guys to answer a lot of questions that you might have about the industry and make sure you get that next level of education that you can apply to your certifications, to your job, to your organizations that you work with and help provide value for yourself as well as your organizations. So let's get Debbie in here and let's get started. Hey Debbie, how's it going? How are you? Not bad, not bad. How's things going with you in, the, in 2021? Uh, you know, uh, all things considered, I really can't complain. Uh, I think 
having so many people not traveling and online, um, it's easier to sort of get in contact with people. But also it's been heating up in terms of people being able to really embrace doing things online, like conferences and meetings and stuff. So I'm actually getting a lot more done than I was doing when I was traveling uh, as much. So, yeah. Now are you finding ever since the pandemic started, you're more busier helping companies secure themselves? Yes. I'm busier. I think I'm busier just because we have more, you know, when you're not traveling and you're not trying to go from place to place, you could do so many more things. So about two weeks ago, I was able to do speaking engagements on three continents in one week. So if I was traveling, I would not have been able to do that. So that was actually a, a benefit. <laughs> so then you could be a little bit more focused on work and what was going on, right? Yeah, totally. Instead of being in traffic and being in airports and stuff. So it actually helped. I enjoyed it. That's awesome. Now, some of our community is starting out in the cybersecurity industry. What would you want, advise them or recommend that they need to know about data privacy, breach readiness plans, things along that line? I think uh, one of the main things they need to realize is no matter what your job is, data privacy issues are going to seep into it because data privacy is about humans. And if you're dealing with data that's about humans or from humans, uh, those types of data will have different types of rights and regulations and things that you have to consider uh, when you're working with it. So uh, that's probably the first thing. And the second thing would be that the amount of regulations that will happen over the next couple of years will be, it will explode. So um, I think I saw a study that said um, currently, I think they want to say, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40% of the world has privacy regulations. But the study said they think within the next five years, it may grow to 70%. So uh, this is an issue that is not going away. It's actually getting bigger. So being able to understand that you know, even though your your job or your role may not be, uh, you know, privacy, I always say that privacy and cybersecurity have a symbiotic relationship. So there are, you know, many issues in privacy that may impact you in your uh, cybersecurity career. And I heard, I read an article not too long ago where they say like data privacy right now is the new gold, right, for organization. It's the new, the essential that they have to protect. So. I completely agree with you. Now, we've already got our first question from the community. Uh, greetings from Costa Rica. Percy, what is the best practice to keep your data, your personal data private? Uh, that's a good question. I love Costa Rica, by the way, so this is fun. Uh, the best practice to keep your data private, I would say, is be careful where you share your data. So the uh, my thing is, you don't want to put something out there or, you know, on the internet or whatever that you can't control. So I had a situation recently where I was talking to someone and they had a bit of information that maybe they shared with one person and that person shared it with someone else and they didn't really like that. But the issue is if you, if you don't have to put it on the internet, definitely don't put it on the internet. Uh, be careful about the things that you share, really think about it. Um, you know, an example would be, you know, oh, I'm going on vacation next week, you know, so that may be a situation where someone will say, oh, my God, let's go rob this person's house or uh, or let's say that you have a password that you use all the time and maybe pay, you 
put it on a post-it note and it's on your computer. Someone can say, well, let me use this, let's use this person's password and try all these different services. And a lot of people, unfortunately, reuse passwords. So you may have have opened yourself up for something like identity theft just by you know having your post-it note or your password on your computer. So just try to find ways that, you know, really think it through um, about the types of things data sharing that you're doing, who you're sharing the data with and being able to minimize when you can or, you know, even like me, like I use Amazon a lot. So a lot of times I don't go on independent other sites because I'm like, do I really want to share my data with some some other person, you know, or other right. company? So I sort of think about that. Right. So now if I was and just to kind of continue that conversation, so what would be the like the top five things you'd recommend for someone like maybe starting out how to protect their privacy. For example, like one would be like VPN, right? Having a VPN yeah. portal. What would be those other things you'd recommend? So probably that um, don't um, do not reuse passwords. So if you use a certain login and password to one uh, service, don't use it somewhere else. Because if someone breaches your your information or or they think that they know your password, they may try it at these different services. So if you're using the same thing, they can break into other accounts. Um, another thing I would say is I highly recommend that people get a password manager. Um, okay. So if you get a password manager, some of them, some have free services. I recommend that you pay for it because if you pay for it, you have more rights about what happens with your data, right? Uh, if you get a password manager, you know, some of them, they let you log into your account without having to retype your password or They'll suggest like a tougher password that maybe you wouldn't have been able to come up with and to change passwords. That's a thing that I highly recommend. Um, also, uh, like I know a lot of people use Google Drive or Dropbox and stuff like that. Make sure that you're not uh, sharing those passwords with other people and that you're uh, changing those passwords relatively often. So like say every three months, every six months, Definitely try to change, you know, those passwords just in case there's a breach. You know, if Dropbox has a breach, if you have a breach, if you're changing those passwords more often, uh, it will make you less vulnerable. Uh, mm -hmm. And probably maybe the last thing, I don't know if I've said five already, but uh, uh, I would highly recommend, especially on accounts that are very sensitive in nature, like your like financial stuff that you uh, take advantage of two-factor authentication. It was offered. Um, a lot of cyber criminals, they look for people who are the low-hanging fruit. So they look for people who aren't, you know, who are reusing passwords. They're looking for people who aren't careful about how they share their data. So those people are easier to hack than people that someone that has two-factor authentication. So right. being, you know, you don't want to be the low-hanging fruit. So do what you can to not be like sort of the, you know, the person that's the easiest access or easiest target for a hacker. Right. And I think I want to add on, doesn't some of those services with the password managers have a dark web scanner as well? They're scanning yes. the dark web to make sure? They do. Right, right. They do. So I... Um, I it's not a plug or anything, but uh, one of the ones that I, I use and have used for a long time is Keeper. Um, okay. uh, and I like it. Uh, I like it because it doesn't try to force you to do it one way or another. So you can use it just to have a list of your passwords on there, or you can decide uh, at a later, you can decide 
if you wanted to log you into stuff and the and then you could decide if you wanted to help you uh come up with a more difficult password and stuff like that so perfect yeah. now i know they're talking about here i'm just gonna bring another question in uh do you recommend using programs like veracrypt or boxcrypt to keep uh to keep data at rest secure uh i think that's a good idea um so this is interesting that you all asked me this question so uh, i was interviewed by business insider and yep. an article will come out soon and they asked me basically almost the same question so uh the issue with that i think is a good idea so this is what happens so let's say let's say you use dropbox so you use dropbox you put their stuff your stuff in the cloud and dropbox when it's in the cloud, there are certain types of encryption that they're using. It's pretty strong what is there. When the data is being transmitted from, to or from the cloud, they can have, uh, they're securing the data in transit, right? right? But let's say you replicate your data to your computer. So then all those protections that you had in the cloud with Dropbox no longer exist. So some people are trying to do things where they're encrypting things on their computer uh you know i would say even let's go back to even maybe a simple basic thing where people unfortunately like they may share their computer with someone and maybe they don't have passwords or profiles on it that are separate um you know especially a dropbox so like say you had i sync my dropbox down to my computer if i didn't do anything else it's sort of just an open file system so i don't want to keep that stuff secure i would highly recommend that you get like another tool that helps you do that okay so that one in the cloud one locally is that what you're saying right yeah okay I mean, no it's perfect uh another question i know that these companies are selling our info to advertisers and that that's bad but what else should we be aware of uh, what they're doing with our data. So I think I think this line runs along the line of all the social media sites and all the ones we get in trouble, like Facebook and our data. Yeah. Well, the issue with uh, with data, um, if it were only being used for advertising, I think that that would uh, people wouldn't be as upset about it. But the problem is. What happens is when you give up data about yourself, it goes into a system where either the company can take that data or they can give it to someone else, like a data broker, and they combine that information together to create like a dossier about people. Right. Um, and maybe that's a good dossier. So maybe that means you get, you know, a better credit card or something because they think that, you know, they know certain things about you and the mode of life that you have. But then it could be bad. So let's say, let's say you did a search on the internet for a particular disease or something. And then so a data broker gets sold the information. If you search for that, they could infer, let's say, they can say, well, maybe this person has this, this disease. So then I'm going to sell this information to an insurance company and maybe you'll, you know, you'll go for insurance or something like life insurance and they'll deny you because they got this other information that was inferred about you, uh, that you, that may, may or may not be true. Right. Uh, but, but then they don't have no obligation legally to tell you how they got that information. So there are people who are unfortunately, you know, being shut out from jobs, even before they, you know, when their resume hits the system, it ends up in the trash can or uh, people uh, 
can't get uh, credit or have problems getting insurance because of some of this information that's being compiled about them that is not visible to us. And right. also it may not be accurate. Right. And, and like, you know, is that they're actually creating a profile, right? And that profile can go from anything and it give you a higher score in life or insurance or whatever that may be. Or like you said, it could be one that they're looking at marketing. It could be a marketing uh, portfolio that they know me. I'm a cybersecurity guy. I'm going to sell you things that are going to be related to desks and chairs and microphones because I see you doing that. So that's all I'm going to get marketed, right? I might not get pillows. Right. Right. I'll get microphones, <laughs> headphones, you name it, right? Right. No, exactly. That's, that's awesome. Now, next question is, aren't password managers vulnerable as well? Password managers do have a level of vulnerability, but a lot of that is, in, um, in my opinion, is more kind of a user issue. Um, uh, so being able to, uh, the companies that, that do these password manager things, they, they try to be very careful uh, with how they uh, manage people's passwords because they know it's kind of a vault. So my password manager has like two passwords and then it offers me uh, two-factor authentication. So there's like a master, master, master password. And then there's kind of a regular password when I'm doing certain transactions. So I think being able to have a password manager that has those extra steps will help because I feel like those are steps that a lot of hackers, they say, well, let's go, like, let's say there are 10 password managers. They're going to go to the one that's the easiest to hack, or they're going to go to the person that's easiest to hack. So I think right. I've not had any problems uh, with that. Um, I'm not necessarily concerned about that. Uh, uh, you know, maybe if I was like, you know, Warren Buffett or something that would concern me, but no. Well, I think I think online, if you do a Google search, you'll probably find that some of them have been compromised over time and distance, right? But then there's things like you like you said. I mean, you have to look at two-factor authentication. You have to look at you know even compartmentalizing your passwords too, right? You right. know, bank, social media, things along that line. So, depending on where how secure you want it, I mean, you're going to lock things down as best as possible. But if you're like online shopping, social media, things along that then yeah, I mean, just yeah. these password managers at the default would be not bad. But if you're yeah. doing banking and government stuff and your yeah. legal stuff, then yeah, you got to have like 26 character passwords, yeah. you know, two-factor authentication, oh, make yeah. sure it's everything's done, right? So it's a level of usage I would recommend too to look at. Yeah, and then too, one thing I recommend people do, and maybe they're not as crazy as me, but I, I use different email addresses for different things. So mm -hmm. like stores that I shop at and I get coupons, I don't use the same email address that I use for banking. Right. So being able to split your accounts out like that also helps as well. For sure. And I mean, it gives you the diversity of that profile, right? Because if mm -hmm. they, if your account is one, two, three at gmail.com and they compromise that one email address, they potentially can go walk through your whole pro online profile. Right. 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 Totally. So exactly. Uh, next question. Uh, I used a paid version. I used a paid version, uh, password manager, but what happens to my stored passwords after my subscription expires? So after your subscription, this is a great question, by the way. So after your subscription expires, the information is supposed to be deleted. So, uh, you, the best thing you can do is look through the terms of service 
uh, for the password manager that you have used. And it should be able to have a section about data retention and what they're doing. Uh, one issue, this is kind of a legal issue that comes up uh, in the US especially, is that it's kind of a gray area in some ways about when things get deleted when people like close accounts and stuff like like that. Right. So in the EU and even Canada, I think it's more strict where you have laws to say, you know, when someone closes account, you have to delete, you know, XYZ data where in the US is because there aren't laws that actually say that explicitly. They leave it up really to the business to decide how they do that, even though they're supposed to do that. Uh, but that's kind of even a gray area that there, uh, I think there are going to be some legal challenges with that. Uh, but I think the, the data privacy laws in the U.S. are moving more towards a situation where they're really looking at data retention because uh, that's a big issue. Right. And I think isn't doesn't California now start to have data privacies that now if I request that, you know, you delete my my data and my information, they're supposed to follow that. That's right. That's right. Right. But then it's good that they put it in that law. But like if you live, live in another state, uh, you may not have that law or you may not have uh, it may not be explicit that a company has to do that. Right. So if, if you're in Cal if you're California and you're in that state, then that falls under you. But if I'm in Canada using a company in California, I might not fall under that that privacy act. Right. Even though there are some companies that because it's so hard, it's such a pain for them to just say, well, we're going to treat California like this and other people like that. They're trying to harmonize that within their companies. But it's only certain companies like Microsoft and PayPal or two that said that they're going to uh, honor people's rights, even though they're not in California. They want their data deleted sort of along the lines of CCPA. Oh, nice. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome that more companies could follow that. And then, you know, our, our data would be a little bit more secure. But as right. we know, with cookies and everything else and people on social media, that scale goes back up again, right? For everyone sharing things. Right. Uh, next question I got here is, what is your recommendation on managing uh, executive identities in large companies or with a global presence? I found uh, executive assistants with photocopies of president uh, president's passwords ID and there seems to be multiple points of loss for large targets. So these these whales, right? As yeah. we call them in cybersecurity. Yeah. So this that's a great question. Who are these people? These are great questions. <laughs> cybersecurity professionals. These guys are, are in, in the field. They're they're either one dive in students hungry for information or experts in the field. We got we got them all. These are excellent questions. These are excellent. These are skin in the game questions, which I really like. Uh so executives are a big target uh, because, well, for a couple of reasons. One is a lot of times executives that have been in certain companies, they, they may have moved up in the ranks. So let's say they started in one job and moved to another job. And a lot of times their permissions, instead of their permissions changing for the job they have, they just sort of snowball. So they end up having access to a lot of stuff that maybe they shouldn't have access to. Um, and then two, when you get executives, uh, sometimes the rules within an organization are different for them. So let's say your organization says uh, that employees need to have a mailbox no bigger than two gigabytes. And so the executives may get a thing where, 
Well, their mailbox is unlimited, so they can do whatever. So they end up having, they collect more data. They have more data. They end up having more access to stuff that they shouldn't have. Um, a lot of times the executives, they may have like an assistant or someone that's helping them with their work where that person may have access to, to their uh, their email or, you know, whatever other account information that may be of sensitive in nature. And then hackers like to target those people mm-hmm. uh, because they know that uh, uh, at times those people may, may uh like acquiesce to maybe like a uh, a request that's made, like a um, what's what I'm looking for? Um, social. Um, what is the word I'm looking for? Social engineer. Yeah, social engineering. Yeah. Very susceptible to social engineering, mostly because of the shenanigans that happen within corporate America. Right. Uh, so, like you know, I had a friend who was saying. Um, you know, you read in a newspaper, oh, this company lost $400,000 because they got a call from someone that said that the CEO wanted them to transfer something at four o'clock in the morning. And so for people, just regular people reading that in the news, they say, oh, why didn't that person know that? I'm like, this actually happens at organizations. So it's not actually that crazy that someone would would do this or would follow that because a lot of times that's the way it is. And then two Sometimes a person who's at a lower level may be afraid to question mm-hmm. uh, those types of requests. So I, I think people who are who have nefarious uh, uh, nature and is trying to take advantage, they take advantage of sort of all those kind of crazy things that happen within organizations. I would say executives, uh, again, executives need to be following, you know, whatever rule there is for the company about, like, say, changing passwords or, you know, and I've seen that one where, um, like, a higher level executive, they want their password to be super easy, almost like a vanity plate on their car. So so then they have these super, so they have these uh, email boxes that are, are enormous. They have these assistants that are afraid to ask them questions. They have, uh, possibly very oversimplified passwords. Uh, They're very public in terms of kind of their movement. Sometimes they may even betray their passwords just by talking about themselves. So let's say they're on social media and they're like, oh, my dog's name is uh, Dusty. Right. So the person, a hacker may say, well, this, you know, his dog is named Dusty. Let me like try variations of Dusty. And, you know, bam, they may be into their account. So those are all things that I've experienced or, you know, learned from working with executives. So it's funny because when I work with companies, especially when I work with them and I'm asking them about how they retain their data, you know, I have to really question them about what happens with the executives and how they're being treated differently and why that's creates a cyber risk for the company. Right. And I think to add on to that, I think one of the things that you have to look at if you're looking at, you know, your managing executives is look at your acceptable use policy, right? Training, cybersecurity awareness training for the staff, the executives, you know, the assistants and making sure that making sure that there's areas and points where if you have, you know, the president's password and ID, they're in secure areas that's encrypted. So even if they get compromised, that, you know, data is actually harder to compromise, you know, if they do. 
I mean, I'm not going to say it's impossible, especially now with quantum computers right now. There's a big discussion on, in, you know, kind of the security environment about what's going on with quantum, quantum computers and encryption. But you're doing that. That's generally best practices. Uh, and you see, you see you're saying there was multiple points of, of failure or loss for targets like this. Everything that Debbie said is completely, I completely agree with. And then just add, adding on to it is like those points. And then just going through training, making sure they're well aware. Because I don't know if you knew this, Debbie. I was doing a, a dark web scan for my, my organizations that I work for. And a lot of times when you do the scans, it's the executives that now are getting caught because they're, like you said, they're out on different sites of networking sites and, and different you know presentations and things like that. And those sites are getting compromised and they're using their work address, the work email address that now can tie them back into their actual organization. So it's just kind of full loop, right? Versus using yeah. a generic Gmail account for these ones and the work address for work, right? Totally. Yeah, I totally. I highly recommend people when they have social media accounts and stuff that they use a different login or a different email than their work email. I highly recommend it. Perfect. No, so, totally great. Uh, question tips on convincing small business owners to train their teams on uh, security awareness. Yeah. So this is a hard sell, right? Um, and the problem with this is that a lot of people perceive cybersecurity like the fire department. So it's like, we don't care about it until my house is on fire. And now I want to call someone and have them help me. Right. Uh, cybersecurity really isn't that way. So I think looking at things that are happening, like the solar winds issue, all the cyber breaches, they're just going up and up and up. Uh, being reactive isn't enough. You have to be proactive. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, one statistic, I don't, I can't remember where I got it from. You may have to look this up, but they were saying, Small businesses that get hacked, uh, the uh, majority of them go out of business in six months. Right. So, uh, you know, if you're a gigantic company, you can absorb the shock of a, of a breach and sort of keep going. But a lot of smaller businesses, they can't, uh, you know, a lot of them may go out of business. So if you're trying to convince someone why is it important for them to have cybersecurity awareness training? I will point to that statistic about most companies that get breached, they go out of business, the smaller companies, you know, so it's, it is a lot, uh, you know, obviously they may, there may be records that have been compromised and lost. You know, they, uh, there may be money that has been taken uh, as a result of that. There's a trust issue. So let's say you're a small mom and pop bakery or something. And you you're you got cyber breach. Maybe people decide they don't want to do business with you anymore. So it's sort of a snowball effect uh, that can be you know better managed if you're educating people. And unfortunately, when companies are thinking about educating people by, about cybersecurity, they put a lot of pressure and onus on kind of the the people who are the lower lower level employees where they have the least amount of risk because they have the least amount of access to stuff. So it really needs to be incumbent. It needs to be a culture, I would okay. say, of cybersecurity and the culture. It has to be top down, not bottom up. Okay. Yeah. And I think to add on to that, one of the things you have to look at is you look at like the environment itself, right? And, and Debbie said it perfectly is that if the small the SMB, small organization, can they handle a breach? 
what's the actual you know risk and the cost you know an actual loss hours down you know loss of revenue loss of brand reputation which debbie talked about take that into consideration because most organizations you put your your organization business head on they're thinking about profit they're thinking about lost and then thinking about brand reputation Cybersecurity awareness is really not on their map because they're thinking about making money, right? And then securing that money. Well, if cybersecurity awareness is that securing the money, that's how you're coming across and saying, look, you know, by the way, what we can do is we can help you secure the profits. We can help you secure the organization so you can build versus, you know, we have no before. It's the great technology. It's, you know, top right car, you know, you know, on Gardner's quadrant and all. business owners don't care. Right? They care about, how do I protect my business so we can make money so my staff is more safe so I don't have any downtime? That's the conversation that you want to have when you're having about you know cybersecurity awareness training or any type of solution. It's thinking, putting your business hat on, and how's the business run and what's that? And I think Debbie said it great in the sense of the alignment of that helps you to kind of get into the upper senior executives and the CEO to have that conversation versus this is the best technology. They're like, yeah, we can't afford it right now. <laughs> That's true. And then, you know, a, a lot of obviously businesses, they try to market and they want more customers. But right. a lot of times when companies suffer, suffer breaches, they get less customers, they get less people. So letting them know that having a cyber breach or having something that's possibly preventable could hurt their bottom line in terms of them being able to get new more customers and even retain the customers that they do have will definitely get their attention. Awesome. Now I have actually a great question for you. Uh, thoughts on unconscious bias as it relates to hiring more women in tech roles. Excellent question. Wow. So my thoughts on unconscious bias, um, you know, I think, it's important that we understand that there are a lot of very talented people in the world uh, that either know cyber, want to know cyber, you know, all of us, I don't know how, uh, you know, maybe Brandon, you can uh, attest to this, you know, all of us have had careers where we've had someone that, um, took time with us to be able to help us kind of build our career, right? So someone somewhere took you to the side and taught you something. Um, so being able to have that um, that way of thinking about things and being able to help people in their jobs and be able to help them kind of, you know, give them confidence or give them uh, support where they are kind of building towards the career that they want is really important. Um, also, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate where I've had a lot of mentors in my career and a lot of them have been men because I work in a cyber in a technical, uh, world where there are just so many, you know, guys there. So I think, uh, uh, being able to reach out, let's say one person reached out to one, to another person that was not like them, you know, what would our our industry look like then. Uh, so right. I think just doing those baby steps, it sounds very big, right? It sounds like, oh my God, it's like world peace. Like, oh, I can't, <laughs> I can't possibly do this. But if everybody, if every person in cybersecurity can find one person that's not like them, that they can, you know, either mentor or talk to, or, you know, just be able to sit with them or something and, 
you know, show them something, you'd be surprised. That may be the spark that, that leads them to, uh, you know, a stellar career in cyber. Awesome. Now I'm going to get on my soapbox on this. I think there, you know, when I got in IT in 2001, there was definitely a bias, right? When you got, you looked at that and there was bias on both sides, right? First sides was the male because it's a male thing and it's technical and only guys deal with technical and the women don't do that because it's just not what they, they're, they're interested in, right? It's a boring job. It's highly technical. It's almost like playing video games all the time. It was kind of that stereotype. Now, as we evolve and, you know, over the years since 2001, it's evolving to the point where now we're starting to see more amazing women in the industry from, I think Georgia is one of the, you know, top leader when it comes to pen testing, uh, especially when it comes to Wi-Fi. And she's wrote a couple of books, yourself with data privacy. So there's a lot of great women that are coming out there. And I think it comes down to having the conversation, but also, you know, understanding it's not about male or female. It's about the information and the value. Right. And then it's just getting the confidence. And I think, you know, at both levels, both male and female, it's the confidence in speaking in this industry and speaking up and having a voice. I think that's changing the industry. I think we're starting to see more people have a voice, both, you know, diversity, you know, male, female, you know, minorities, whatever that may be, are starting to speak up. And now because of social media and all that, we're starting to see that, you know, change in the environment of, everyone around stepping up and becoming more experts in cybersecurity. And I think that's great because we're in a constant battle. We're, and this is where I tell people when it comes to cybersecurity, the blue team, the guys that are actually setting up the security and securing it, even the red team that are not that are protecting the, the environments, we have one hand behind behind our backs as we're doing this because hackers don't have any rules or regulations. They don't have to wait for change management. They don't have to wait for approval for the management to do something. If they're going to hack, they're going to hack, right? We're right. not For us to do something, we have to go through change management. We have to get approvals. We have to get sign-off. We have to do that. And it takes time. They're like, I'm going to hack this company. You know, right. da, 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 and they, they, they start going, right? So the more people we have on our team all over the board, the better it is for us. And that's kind of my feeling on how I see the cybersecurity industry evolving. Yeah. We have a lot of great people that are coming up and sharing. We just keep needing more and more. I mean, that's that's what I, my insight on this. Yeah, I'll give you an example I give to people. So let's say I, I gave 20 people a camera and told them to take a picture of the same thing. So even though they're taking a photograph of the same object, all their photographs would be different because they're all taking a photograph from a different perspective. So if you don't have diverse people uh, who are looking at things from a different perspective, we can't really solve this problem because we're just going to keep, you know, bashing our head up against the wall and figure out like, what can we do differently? So having people, you know, even, even for me, I really like working with people like from all over the world, you know, collaborating with them because you just never know. Someone may see something that you don't see. So being able to have a more diverse group of people from, you know, skill set, experience, you know, location, you know, race, gender, whatever, will definitely give you a better perspective. For sure. No doubt about it. So now we've got some more questions for you, which is great. Keep, guys, keep them coming. Uh, hopefully we're answering your questions. And, and you guys, anything you want to know about cybersecurity, we're going to open up the floor right now. Uh, it doesn't have to be data privacy or protections or anything like that. Open up the floor. You can see you guys asking a lot of great questions about the cybersecurity industry. Keep them coming. Uh, so next question is, in a medium 150 people uh, size company, 
is worth uses is worth use a message service Skype Teams Discord or sharing data with the, uh, this or have a self hosted messaging service. I mean, what is safer? So basically, I think he's thinking of at 150 people organization company. Is it better or valuable to use like a service like Skype Teams or Discord in sharing data, or should you use your own internal self-hosted? That's an excellent question. These are great questions. Um, you know what? I don't think there's one best way to do it. I don't think there's. I, I don't think I can say one is better than the other. I would say people are using these tools, whether you want them or not, or not that's one thing. Uh, if you decide to do messaging internally, the thing, the advantage to that would be that you're keeping a record of that stuff. Uh, and then you have to decide how long you want to keep it, if at all, if it's important to keep. Um, and then if people are using, you know, Skype and Teams and other stuff that you're not aware of, the issue may be there may be some business value or business records in there that the company may not know about and need that information. So a lot of times if people uh, are on, let's say, Skype, for example, um, not Skype. Um, what is that thing? Uh, I don't know. It's a little message app Slack. for people. Slack. Slack. <laughs> Forgot about it. So, <laughs> so let's say people are on Slack and... Um, I actually like Slack and a lot of people were kind of coordinating stuff or whatever. But once you start putting in business content in there, it becomes a problem because the the CISO or the the cyber people may not know that that data is out there. And if you don't know it's out there, you can't really protect it. So I think going back to your point, Brandon, being able to have these acceptable use policies within companies and telling people how they want people to manage the data that they use. I think that's one thing. But then there's another thing. And, you know, I've had this situation where let's say you want to coordinate something with someone. So it isn't a it isn't a useful business record. It was just important in the moment. Like, so let's say I I, I I text Brandon and say, hey, you know, can you turn the server, you know, do you know, reboot the server at 10 o'clock? That's not really a business record, right? Uh, and sometimes you have to make those communications with people. So part of it is working with the business to, first of all, decide what they think is important uh, to be able to keep. And then also making sure uh, employees are educated about how, where they put those messages, especially if it has a business interest. For sure. It totally makes sense. And I think one thing I would say is, you got to look at what's the business data that you're sharing, like you said, and the level of encryption. Like it, yeah. it, I know for uh, government and military, all that they use a lot of times they use their own. I and mean, we can ask Neil this on his own, but a lot of times they're using their own internal environments because they want it, you know, isolated to their environment. They don't want to get out that that data has data stored in another cloud solution or something all like, you know, for Slack or Skype or anything on that. They need it internally that they have total control of the data, right? Because again, if you put that data, sometimes these Skype teams, Slack, you know, anything on that, they have access to the data stored on their servers. So you have to be careful, you know, you have to look at the terms of service and things along that line, right? Sometimes it's encrypted in REST, but you still have to be mindful of that. So if you're looking at the level of compliance maybe or requirements from your client or requirements from the internal organization of how the data needs to be stored, that's the first thing to look at. If there's high top secret privacy issues, then you have to look at, you know, keeping it more internal and using solutions like that. If it's, 
like marketing, like we'll talk about marketing material. Hey, here's a good shade or logo or things we're using that might be lower in the, in the, in the data privacy. So if you're play, sharing that over Slack, it's not a big deal. Right. So you kind of look at data classification. I think that's what I'm looking at. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. And making sure, cause the employees are the ones that really have to do the hard work It's it would be hard for the cyber people to be able to be so in depth. Right with how people are handling their data and those business records on kind of that, you know, very detailed level. So it's important that the employees know what's expected of them in terms of classifying data and putting it in the right places. Right. No, completely agree. So a couple more questions. Uh, we got about 15 minutes to go. So we're, this is awesome guys. I hope you're getting a lot. Give me some thumbs up in the, in the actual chat. Let me know how you guys are liking this, uh, in this information. Hopefully this is stuff you guys can take, you know, to your work to, you know, tomorrow and start to kind of implement some of the strategies. So Debbie, we got a couple more questions for you. Uh, is windows 10 drive encryption secure and should I trust the, this function? Uh, as far as I know, Windows 10 Drive is secure. You mean OneDrive? I think they're thinking about uh, uh, 10 Drive encryption. So they're looking at the encryption for Windows. Okay. Um, as far as I know, it is. I don't. I haven't really gone into depth about them. I don't. I don't know, or I've not heard that they have any kind of systemic vulnerabilities there. Uh, but then also I don't really use their cloud. So I really can't uh, comment about that. Uh, but, you know, all of these really big companies, they're typically using the best in class encryption that they could possibly get their hands on. So I would imagine that Microsoft is using pretty good encryption. But I think, again, I think people sometimes get confused between what's on the cloud and what's on their computer. So if something is on your computer, not in the cloud, it's being protected in different ways. So from what I'm reading online, I just kind of pulled this up quickly. It looks like it's BitLocker is Microsoft's proprietary disk encryption software for Windows 10. Okay. Yeah. I like BitLocker. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, any encryption that you're looking at, do some Google searches, kind of look at, you know, the benchmarks, things along that line. See if, you know, what level of encryption, you know, is it? You know, had, yeah. yeah, has it been breached? 256, 128, what are you right. looking at? So kind of do that research and then see if you're going to implement. Uh, I would look at now, uh, there's new technology coming out, uh, quantum proof. Start looking at that. If you're looking at implementing a new uh, cyber or encryption strategy, look at quantum proof because that's the next level and see how that would be implemented in your organization. Uh, yeah. I know there's a few companies now starting to come out with it. So, right. and it's still in the the same uh I guess the price line of AES and all those ones that you'd be getting. So take a look at that because we're always looking for cybersecurity professionals, that next level, right? That next right. level of security. Yeah. And it's probably a good idea. If there are companies that you really admire, I think they're doing a good job. Most companies will tell you what they're using to some extent. So at least you get an idea of kind of what's the best in class that other companies are using. For sure. Uh, next question. What do you think about the new trend to stop using passwords in the companies like Microsoft this year? They're switching to passwordless technologies like biometrics. Yeah, so this is the FIDO, the FAST ID online um, 
thing. So basically, a lot of companies are trying to go beyond passwords, and we'll eventually get there. We not maybe not super soon uh, because people, you know, I feel like uh, the way the industry has gone with how their people are educated about cybersecurity. You know, you learn Active Directory, you learn how to give people permissions that way, you know, you get people's logs and login and password. And so going to a system where people aren't using passwords, they're using different things sort of changes the paradigm of how kind of people were taught in the past about how you set up accounts and different things like that. But I think the passwordless future, I guess, is good and bad. So the good part is that uh, not using a traditional login and password and doing something in a way that uses something about a person that can't be easily replicated, you know, like mm-hmm. a biometric marker, definitely makes uh, the, makes people's accounts more secure in that way. Uh, I think the danger or the problem or the concern that people have is, you know, will my biometrics be breached? So, so can someone... Uh, impersonate me if they have my biometrics and you can't change your face, you can't change your eyes, you can't change your thumbprint. So uh, the concern is, you know, how secure would this data be? And so I think what the the trend that we're seeing now is definitely going to happen is that companies uh, are definitely looking at biometrics and things like that, identifiers Mm -hmm. to sort of to cut down on fraud and theft. But then also there's kind of this movement towards some type of decentralized data storage where your super personal information like biometrics never leaves your device or your machine or something like that. Because people are concerned that if the stuff is in a bucket in the cloud somewhere, you know, someone's definitely going to be able to get get to that. So those are the concerns. Yeah, and I think um, when it comes to this, when you look at it too, if you go to, you know, true what they call as passwordless authentication, well, now there's the the reduction in password resets, right? And and password storage, right? Because now it's running through the two-factor authentication, something you know or something you have, right? right? Or something you are, right? So what happens is you might get a you might get a pin, but also you have to use your thumbprint, right? So the pins text you something you receive, right? And then you have something you are, you know, your thumbprint face recognition. A lot of the computers now have the biometrics thumbprints that now you can start to log in, right? So once we start to get to those two-factor authentication process of biometrics and the passwordless, I think we're adding another layer of complexity. Now, the one thing that I'm hearing on my side is when there's archaic systems, right? They're having a problem where there's some like out of life, out of scope, and they're trying to implement that. That's when you start to run into problems where it's not true passwordless anymore. They have to almost you know, jimmy it in a solution to make it work. And you have things that are older, archaic systems that are not as secure as maybe the nor the new servers, the new technologies, the new authentication, new applications that you're working. So I think we're still, there's still a little bit of a gap there. Yeah, definitely. And there will continue to be. So unfortunately, companies that have legacy data, they want to keep it for whatever reason. They may have a legal reason. They may have a business reason. The problem with a lot of those systems is that a lot of times companies don't want to pay the money to update them, like put the data onto a new system or whatever. So they plug it in and stuff it in a corner somewhere. But sometimes that's some of their biggest risk 
uh, because if the say for instance their the data is on the server or something is like out of out of warranty, can't update anymore. You know, it becomes this huge vulnerability for companies. So, being able to find a way to sort of bridge that gap, part of it to me is is being able to take a deeper look at legacy data. Like, do you really need it? If you need it, should we update it, put it on a new system, something that wouldn't require you to do to contort in some way to be able to try to make it fit into sort of this new, uh, you know, passwordless future. Right. Um, the one of the statistics, and you should go on. It's called FIDO. I think it's FIDO.org. F-I-D-O.org. Yep. Yep. Um, they had a statistic on there that said the average person has 90 like username and passwords. And th- I'm thinking this is not sustainable. It's like, so if, like, especially in terms of privacy, like, so do I have to go into 90 different accounts and like, you know, mess with the privacy settings for each? Like, it's just not going to happen. So I think going to a solution where maybe the person is, is the keeper of their data or the keeper of their bank. And then they give, their path, their data bank, let's say, and then they're granting access when when companies are asking for it. I think that's the way it's going to go. Makes makes total sense, right? And I think uh, something to kind of look up as you guys are doing this. Uh, it's phytoalliance.org. So if you guys are looking that up, uh, just to kind of let you guys know. Um, got a couple, uh, two two last questions for you. Which is more dangerous, the mass consolidation of un uh, structured data that contains privacy markers or poorly identified management of monitoring uh, where it, be- it becomes unknown who is accessing what? Wow. Those are equally bad, I would say. Um, so I would say maybe the the worst one is unstructured data where people don't know where data is because if it's if it's unstructured, people don't know where data is. It's going to be hard or very expensive to find out what's in that data set. Um, some companies, uh, because it's such a hard problem, they're looking at they're trying to scan things by kind of date or creation date. But as you know, if the data was migrated in a certain way, it may not have the correct dates or metadata to be able to kind of do that cut. But I think that. Um, you know, in terms of having data that doesn't, that you don't know who has access to, uh, it's still a hard problem, but maybe it's an easier problem than kind of trudging through a lot of unstructured data for stuff that you don't know what's in it. So I had a friend that said that uh, he has some, he has a friend uh, who is the manager or the CISO at a big uh, tech company out in Silicon Valley. And he says that uh, this person, once one month a year, they spend time going through auditing who has access to what and why. So it's a big job, I would say. So especially, you know, the example I gave about executives where instead of them getting their permissions changed by every job they go to, they just get added on to. So then they're having access to stuff they shouldn't have i would say you know my opinion would be check those people first as opposed to the lower lying people because a hacker wants to get to the highest level access person that they possibly can so they're not going to be looking for the lower level employee they're going to look for people super high up 
uh, whether they're uh, uh, cyber people, people in administration, uh, people who are in the C-suite that have responsibility, but not necessarily are super hands-on. Those are the people they're looking for. No, it totally makes sense. And I think that's good. I mean, if, if you're looking at data privacy and you're kind of looking at, you know, looking at your data right now, you should have tools in place. If you don't know where your data is, you should have tools in place to scan your network, to classify your data, to understand where your data is at rest so that you can understand exactly your vulnerabilities and then have some sort of scanning that makes sure that you know that certain classification of its uh, contracts, financial information, HR information that you're classifying through the scan and you can identify where they are so you can pull them into secure areas versus yeah, they're on the cloud somewhere or they're on the storage ser server somewhere. And then you're like, I don't know, but you got it. You got to bring that in because especially when you look at the conversation we're having about data privacy, someone can compromise your, your network, get in there and transverse across the network. Sometimes they, you know, you won't know someone's in your network for like six months. And if they're going around and, and looking at, you know, your storage, your network, drawing out a profile and you don't know the data and they start taking it and downloading it. How do you know what you've lost? It could be too late. Right. Right. Yeah, I so totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and then, too, um, I also saw a stat about uh, data breaches. So they say the cost of a data breach per record, it went up. So I think it was like 150 something. I think it's like up in the 200s now. So think about that gigantic bucket of unstructured data you have and how much data that you would be. Uh, that if it was breached, how many records that would be. And you do the math and it becomes untenable at some point. Right, for sure. And I think that's the thing that we have to look at, right? It's just what's the the impact of the exposure, right? If you ever get compromised. And you're saying $200 per record? I thought it was, it went up to about two something. It went up over 200, I believe. Okay, so I want everyone to kind of do that. A estimate how many records you have on, in your organization and multiply that by 200. And just think that's the potential impact from one breach. And if your data gets compromised, you get ransomware, you get locked down, that's the potential impact, right? Just estimate it, right? To think about that, not, a, of, of course, like we talked about brand reputation, loss of revenue, loss of sales, whatever that may be, but just of that alone. Mm -hmm. so, and then you wanna go back to that cybersecurity awareness training, check, lost this $200 million you know, twenty thousand dollars for cybersecurity awareness training. I guess yeah, you'll look at the budget there. <laughs> These are all good stats that you guys should be able to find online. I think Cisco does a really good report every year with all those statistics. So definitely pull that down and use it when you're talking with the the, the business people who uh, they want to understand the money impact. So being able to do that math for them, I think helps make your case. Awesome. Now we got one last question. Uh, regarding uh, privacy in a global company around 10k employees what would keep you up at night debbie uh walking the door to a new job what is your 30-day goal to better understand the privacy needs of the of the company i think um probably the best thing you know 30 days understand the privacy needs of the company is understanding where their data is so not just what they where they say their data is but where it actually is so a lot of times when I go into companies and I ask them where their data is, sometimes I'm presented with a data retention document. Mm -hmm. And so this is where, this is the prim and proper, you know, pretty report about, you know, this stuff is here or there. And then I talk with the 
IT folks. And I'm like, so what really happens? Like, where do re people really hold their stuff? So um, a lot of times when you look at companies that get fined on data privacy issues, it is not, they're not being fined on what they say they do, they're being fine on what they actually do. So operationally, in terms of what they're actually doing, that's really what I want to be able to find out about. And then obviously be able to rank their risk, you know, maybe high, medium, and low, and then give them a report of what that is. And then they need, the company needs to decide, you know, maybe I make a recommendation, but they need to decide how they want to attack or approach the, the challenge. Okay, makes sense. Well, Debbie, I mean, we're up time. We're just at the end of uh, the the stream right now. I want to thank everyone who asked all the great questions. Hopefully, you guys got some value. Uh, give me some thumbs up in the actual chat. Let me know what you guys thought. Uh, Debbie, I just put on your LinkedIn profile here. Uh, best way to contact you is it LinkedIn, your website? Uh, LinkedIn, my website. I have a YouTube channel, a Debbie Reynolds Consulting. Um, definitely LinkedIn. So I like to link in with people and I put a lot of good, good content out and like to chat with folks there. Awesome. So you guys, the LinkedIn is actually just below here. You'll see it. And then, uh, make sure you, you write that down, take a screenshot and go connect with Debbie like right now. And then here's her website. Uh, Debbie, uh, Debbie Reynolds consulting.com. Check out our website. You guys have any questions you need any, you know, information about data privacy, breach readiness, plans, anything along that line, anything we've talked about, reach out to Debbie. She's there to help you guys out. Debbie, thank you so much. It was a lot of great information. I learned a lot from today's conversation. I hope everyone else did. So thank you so much. Thank you. This was fantastic. Thank you. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to put you in the lobby uh, and we're going to finish off. Thanks so much, Debbie. You're welcome. All right, guys, that was awesome. I don't know what you guys thought of the actual conversation. A lot of to talk about when it comes to data, data privacy, protection, security, encryption. I mean, you name it, all stuff that, you know, all of us security professionals are de dealing with day in and day out. Uh, make sure you connect with Debbie. Uh, she's a wealth of information. Like I said, just like you guys were seeing, uh, and she said uh, like there, she has a lot of great content, a lot of videos that she's posting online. So you guys can keep learning uh, what Debbie's working on, what she's, you know, she's advising her clients, advising the industry. Uh, she keeps posting like great co content. I highly recommend you not only just, you know, connect with her, but you also follow her content. Uh, I want to thank our moderators for today. This was amazing. Uh, keeping the, the chat clean as well as giving all the questions. Uh, thank, I want to thank cyber insecurity, a uh, lot going on with the, the network. Make sure that you subscribe to the Twitch channel, share this with your family and friends, other colleagues. We're really building this out to make sure that we have the best content here for you guys to make sure that you get everything you need when it comes to cybersecurity from jumping into the career of cybersecurity to when you're in there, what to do and you know how to strategize and some experts are coming in here to make sure that you have the leading cutting edges of cybersecurity defense and how to protect your organization, how to protect your clients and how to protect your, your team. So. I want to leave off there and want to say, guys, just don't forget software is hackable, being connected is vulnerable. I'll see you next Daily Cyber.